0: Have you noticed that sometimes praise has to be a sacrifice? Anybody here this morning for whom that may be true? Meaning you're going through a difficult place. Maybe circumstances are feeling somewhat out of control. But praise can never be on our lips because it's a choice that we make. Father... Would you enable us today to recognize that all that you call us to in relationship with yourself is really about taking the next steps of obeying you. And so, God, we thank you for uh, your word and we thank you for your spirit. Would you enable us to grasp what you have for us today so that when it's all said and done, God, we would be fine, be found faithful Uh, To you in all things. For we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Well, this this morning, um, I want to share just actually three texts that come from the book of Matthew. And uh, last week, we actually uh, shared that God, God's on a mission. I mean, and that sounds sort of tongue in cheek or cliche ish, but. God really has a mission that he's about. He is passionate toward the mission that he is on. And uh, as we look at the scriptures, we're going to identify some of what that means. Uh, God's mission, as I said last week, if you happen to be here, and in fact have been saying it a number of different ways over a period of time, is that God's mission is to bless the generations And we're a product of, in fact, God having done that through faithful people in the past. If you were here last week, we talked about praying. God uh, blesses our lives primarily not because we pray, though we do, but by virtue of those who have prayed before us. So the question is, um, how will we then be a blessing to the next generation in keeping with the faithfulness to which he has called us? As we pray, Uh, Jesus called, in fact, his disciples, and he made them uh, to be, in fact, disciples. He called them not just to be believers. Jesus calls each one of us uh, into a relationship with himself, and that relationship then is one of our becoming his disciples, and that means we end up looking more and more like him. Aren't you glad? we begin to look more and more like Jesus as we take one step at a time in obeying Him and what He shows us to do. Uh, so, uh, last week we talked about one of the things that disciples do is that disciples pray. And I felt that God said, you know, I had this image of, of God taking... Um, his people and putting them under his wings like a, a hen. In fact, one of the words that we had last week was God was doing that and it was not connected. Uh, but God was taking his people and encouraging them just to come apart with him and come under his wings um, as a, a hen would do that with her little chicks. And I think that's really a good image of what God is doing uh, to many of us, to all of his disciples in these days, uh, because. um There's so much going on in the world that God calls us to obey him primarily in prayer and then in other ways of taking steps uh, to obey him. So last week we looked at prayer and this week we're really going to be talking about how we then obey the father. And uh, that grows out of relationship, as we'll see here in just a minute. In fact, if you would uh, take your Bible, turn to Matthew's gospel and turn to the uh, 12th chapter, and uh, we'll begin to read beginning in, let's see, verse 46, Matthew 12, verse 46. Now, this is a curious passage here. Um, Jesus' ministry was expanding, and he was moving from, you know, just hanging out with a few to be, he began to go through. Um, the nations, actually the regions, and began to preach to a wider uh, audience. And in the context of him doing that, picking up at verse 46 of Matthew chapter 12, um, it says this, while he was still um, talking or speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. And then one of them said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they're seeking to speak with you. But he answered and he said uh, to the one who told him, who is my mother and my brothers? It's a strange thing. Your mom's outside with your brothers, and they want to talk to you. And he said back to him, who are my brothers or my mother and my brothers? And then he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and he said, "Here." Are my mother and my brothers Uh, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister uh, and my mother. I've always felt that was kind of a curious uh, text. But what I've come to realize is that it isn't as curious as I at one time thought Uh, Jesus is really talking about the kingdom and uh, what the text, in fact, um, doesn't say is that Jesus doesn't take family relationships as very important. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that uh, Jesus is somehow negating or being pejorative or negative toward uh, having quality relationships with your blood kin, your brothers, your sister, your, or your mother. No, I think Jesus is actually elevating something that is of even more value, as highly valued as he valued his earthly relationships, there's a higher value. And Jesus was actually pointing to that higher value. Um, he's actually elevating kingdom relationships because in kingdom relationships, uh, it's you've, you've heard the, the phrase, well, blood is thicker than water. And sort of what that means is that when the chips are down, when things get tough, you're going to hang with your family. And whereas that is true um, on a physical plane, in the natural order, it is also equally and even more true for those who have been birthed supernaturally into a family. I think that's what Jesus was really getting at uh, here when he said, um, these are my mother and brothers and my sisters, those uh, who are actually... um, uh, Related by virtue of birthing into the kingdom. And then he says, for whoever, verse 50, whoever does the will of my father in heaven, this is my brother and sister uh, and my brother. Verse 49 and verse 50, I think, give us a key that doing the will um, of the father demonstrates that we have the same father. So, see, Jesus was actually he wasn't negating natural relationships. He was. Placing the priority on kingdom relationships. And there's something about kingdom relationships. If you're related to the same king, if you have Jesus as your savior, you have become a disciple of Jesus by virtue of him supernaturally birthing something in your heart and thereby connecting you to the father with relationship and to one another in the kingdom. That means we're going to live together for a really long time. I mean, we're going to live together for eternity uh, because of what the father has done for us. So so this thing of of understanding that we are kin, then kin, we're sons and daughters of the king is what uh propels us or what uh, moves us into understanding that to obey him is the highest priority because we all have the same dad. Uh, now, let's look at one other thing. Relationships, we could say it this way, relationships with the father produce obedience to the father. If we have relationship with dad, we're going to obey what dad says. In fact, we could. Put it this way, relationships produce really our obedience. I think that's why Jesus, when he, you know, they were asking him, uh, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, well, when you pray, pray this way, referencing the text in the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's Matthew chapter five or six. He said, when you pray, pray like this. And by the way, it's not a form, disciples. But when you pray, pray like this. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, that's not a formula. See, what Jesus was talking about, he was helping his disciples to recognize that they that we all have a Father. And when we have a right understanding of who the Father is, we see ourselves in right understanding and relationship with him, and we begin to magnify him because of the worth of who he is. Uh, hallowed be thy name. So prayer then actually grows out of relationship with the father so that prayer becomes an obedience uh, to the father, a desire to be with the father. And so it is with every level um, of obedience in our lives. If you want to turn with me, turn to Matthew chapter uh, 21 and let me look real quickly um, at a text uh, beginning in verse uh, 28 of Matthew chapter 21. And this is also a very interesting parable that Jesus um, taught, Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus said this in a parable that he called, well, two sons. Uh, But what do you think? That's a question. A man had two sons and he came to the first son and he said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And the son answered and he said, I will not. Hello? No. But afterward, he regretted it and he went. And then he came to the second son and he said, likewise. And that son said, yes, I go, sir. But he didn't. See, sometimes it's easy to say certain things, but not do what the Father says. Now, verse 31, Jesus asked the question of those to whom he was speaking, and he said, Which of the two sons did the will of his Father? And they said, Well, the first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that the tax, tax collectors in harlots will enter the kingdom before you do. Now, he was talking to the the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious folk, and they knew the right answer. But they weren't doing it. And he goes on. He talks about, um, you know, John the Baptist. You didn't listen to him. You understood. You all shook your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you didn't do. So Jesus was talking about this idea of hearing what the father says and then doing what the father commands. So we have one son that, uh, as the text said, um, go into the vineyard and work today. That's all we know. And he said, uh, no, but then thought better of his Words that come so quickly to us and he obeyed and the other one said, sure, I'll go do that. And behind the father's back, he decided that he wouldn't do it. So the notion here is really about uh, who has the kind of relationship with the father that Jesus is talking about. It's the one who actually obeys. And that's the point um, of this uh, parable that Jesus is talking about. So God resources then the kingdom through obedience, obedience um, uh, with r- our resources. So we're, we're go- as we talk about um, God being on a mission and God's mission to bless uh, the generations, think about that for a minute. God wants to bless the generations and he can only do it by people who obey. Go into the vineyard and work. No. We might say, but because we have relationship with the Father, we go, the Father said, and therefore I take the next step and I do what he told me to do. Or we can be like those who, sure, I'll go. <laughs> I dupe to the Father and not do it. You see, it's about relationship uh, with the Father. Uh, so... Uh, God resources this notion of building the kingdom through kids that are obedient. Kids who have, first of all, relationship, interactive relationship with their dad. An intimate relationship whereby we know we're sons and daughters and we're appreciated by him. And God has a task that he's wanting to complete. And he's going to use people who say, yes, um, I'll go. And they actually go. Now, the final text I want to look. Uh, Matt with you for just a moment is that um, relates very specifically uh, to how God wants to resource and bless the generations. How's he going to do that? He's going to do it through sons who have relationship and daughters who are in right relationship with the father and then who obey him. Uh, so turn in your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter six. We've looked at this on one other occasion when I was walking us through the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to begin reading at verse 19. Because Jesus talks about this thing called treasures, in other words, wealth, if you prefer money. And uh, Jesus actually talked about it a lot, not because he was a penny pitching or greedy religious leader. But Jesus understood something about this notion of treasures and how it can affect us in our obedience or our lack of it. So beginning in verse 19, he says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in to steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in to steal. And then he says, verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's interesting, this thing about treasure. We're going to talk for just a minute about treasures. Um, I had the... um, Unfortunate uh, duty on one hand, and yet privilege on the other, uh, to bury a friend of mine yesterday who was 58 years old. And I noticed something about uh, that funeral, as I do with everyone that I do, that as we put his remains into the ground, nothing went with him. Not the first copper coin, zero. Now, that seems kind of sobering, but that's true for every one of us. Now, in light of that, then, Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. He's not saying it's wrong to have treasures. It's not wrong to have a bank account and a car or two or a house. It's not, that's not the point of what he's saying. He's saying, don't lay up for yourselves treasures. And then he ends by saying, this is the reason, verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where you're going to find your heart. Your heart will be attached to the things that you most highly treasure. So now remember, we're talking about resourcing the kingdom as obedient sons and daughters. And Jesus then begins to move us to understand this notion of treasures and how they can captivate your heart. You see, God, it doesn't. Mean that we shouldn't have treasures. It means that we need to be careful because if we treasure certain things, our heart gets captivated by it. We become ensnared and enslaved to them. That's what Jesus meant in verse 21, um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on and he, he says, it's it's almost a, a difficult, like out of context. But he says the lamp of the body um, is the eye. And uh, therefore, if your eye is good, the whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, if therefore the light that is in you is dark, how great is the light? And I shared some uh, months ago now, as we walked through this, that this phrase in the Hebrew, if your eye is good, actually doesn't mean that you uh, see, you know, you have a good eye or a bad eye. It, it, it means that you're able to see clearly. But more importantly than that, it's a Hebrew idiom, and it means that you're generous. This is no mistake that it was inserted right in this particular text where Jesus is talking about a man or a woman's heart being drawn to the treasures that they have on the earth. Uh, And we need to be careful not to lay up or treasure just things, but begin to lay up treasure in the heavens. Why? Because we're going to live there a whole lot longer than we're going to live here. You know what I mean? I mean, when, when our time ends on this physical planet, uh, that's not the end of our life. In fact, that's the beginning. That's the paradox of of having a Christian funeral. We grieve because we miss a person's life, but we don't grieve like those who don't have hope because they didn't die. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 11. If you believe in me, it's, you know, that they just transitioned into a new realm and they will live forever and ever and ever. And I promise you, the majority of us, myself included, don't really get it because we're finite. We're human. We, we, we see through a glass dimly. But but in this context, then, of having relationship with the father, um, and then learning to obey him like the son that said, I won't, but then did. Jesus said, now, be careful that you don't begin to love your stuff. That's a that's a colloquialism that we could relate to. Don't love your stuff uh, more than you love the things of relationship with the father, because that can keep you from obeying him. And that's going to ensnare your heart. So then Jesus goes on. And he talks about, OK, the lamp of the body. Um, is your eye. And if your eye is generous with your stuff, your whole body is going to be filled with light. Now grasp that for a minute. If you become generous with what God's given to you on the earth... That will demonstrate something about your relationship with the Father and the degree of your obedience to walk with Him in this realm, anticipating the next realm to which we go. To prove that point, verse 24 says this. Remember, nobody can, we're talking about generosity and not treasuring because your heart will be hooked to your treasures. And then he says, no one can serve two masters. Now, what are the two masters he's talking about? The treasures that ensnare your heart versus um, treasuring the father and relationship and kingdom issues because God's got an agenda. And his agenda is for us to be those who express the kingdom and bless the generations around us. And God can't do it without us. He, well, he could, but he's chosen not to. So uh, you can't serve two masters. Why? Because either you will uh, hate the one. And cling to the other master. uh, Or you'll despise the one and be loyal to the other. And here's where Jesus then puts it in the most simplistic and clear term. Succinct as anybody could say it. You can't love God and your stuff. You can't love God and treasure things that captivate your heart. You can't love God, my version says, and mammon, it means riches, uh, because those things ensnare the heart. Now, let me just, uh, what did I just say? Don't store up treasures on the earth for where your treasure is. That's where you're going to find your heart. Isn't that humbling? Some of you are sitting here going, oh, man, I got some work to do. So do I. See, and that's the point. Jesus is talking about disciples and how we grow as disciples and how we become uh, agents of the kingdom to expand the kingdom of God in this realm to be blessings to the people around us. That's what disciples do. That's why you enlisted. That's why Jesus drew you. And at some point in time, you said yes to his drawing. I'm giving my heart To Jesus. I'm giving my life to Him. I want to learn to hear the Father's voice so that I can obey Him, do what He says. Uh, So, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Um, If your eye is good, that is, if you're uh, generous, uh, your whole body will be full of light because you can't serve God fully and freely. And have your heart wrapped around things of this world. Okay, let me summarize. What have I tried to say? The first thing is, if we looked at Matthew chapter 12, a couple of things that come out of that is that relationship with the father is what produces our obedience to him. If you find that you're like one of the sons here parenthetically who said, yeah, I'll go, but you don't go. If you don't obey, uh, then you should probably not just deal with the obedience issue. I challenge us to go back and look at the relationship issue. See, that's why sons and daughters. Thou art my son in whom I am well pleased. You're my daughter in whom I am well pleased. When we get that relationship thing right, uh, obedience is a whole lot easier. Obedience to the father proves our relationship that we have with him. And then we went to Matthew chapter six. That's the place where he talks about uh, giving Um, obedience with our resources really is one of the big tests in discipleship. See, there are lots of them, by the way. There's prayer. Uh, There's um, how do we handle our treasures? Um, How do we share our faith with others? In other words, what is a disciple? It's one who hears and then one who does. What the Father says. That's what I've I've been saying uh, here. So, true disciples then are generous. Their eye is generous because they recognize that there is an infinite flow of resources out of the King's hand that we can never outgive him. Test me and see. The scriptures are replete. Give and it will be given back to you. Press down. It just goes on and on. Jesus talks about money. So does his disciples. Because true disciples become generous people. And generosity then characterizes what disciples are. Let me uh, move us here toward completion. I want to give you sort of a continuum, if I may, on what discipleship really looks like. Because when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to become his disciple, not just a believer. And there are lots of people who are believers and aren't disciples because disciples do what the father says. So we started with relationship and uh, in relationship with the father, we say yes to him. Holy Spirit comes into our life. You know, Jesus died for our sin. We received Jesus into our life. He's my savior. And now I have an interactive relationship with him. Say it in whatever words you're comfortable with. You're in relationship with the father now for eternity. But that doesn't just end there. If it ends there, we're believers and not disciples. It moves into obedience because disciples are also those who obey what the father says. Go in my vineyard and work. No, but then I do. Or sure, but then I don't. You see, obedience is the test that every disciple Every disciple has to walk through. You've already walked through it in many cases. Some of us are now walking through it presently. And guess what? It won't end when you get through this test. There'll be one tomorrow. Why? Because that's what disciples do. They follow the father. They hear his voice and they obey him. And that's what then disciples are. Relationship, obedience, that I'm his now disciples. I'm now becoming a generous disciple. That's part of the deal. Uh, and the reason that we're in relationship and obedient and being as disciples and becoming generous is where I started. God has a mission and God wants to bless the generations and he's going to use us in order to that should be resource. The kingdom He's going to do it through us. We're all he has. That's why he's drawing a family together, not just so we can get together and enjoy the worship and and have hot cocoa in the morning, you know, and oh, Jesus loves me. And I'm going to go to heaven when I die and then live with my heart ensnared by my mass, my stuff. God wants to do something with us. Isn't that exciting? That's why we signed on. We need something bigger than ourselves. Our little puny self isn't big enough to give our life to. What that produces is just narcissism where everything's about me. Guess what? It isn't about me. It's about the king and his purposes in this life and his wanting to get on with his mission to bless people. And it's because of that, Steve, I want you to begin to learn how to take your next step with me. A lot of people like to put a whole bunch of guilt on other people, but Jesus never did that. He didn't come. He he, he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And therefore, he says, if you're in relationship with me, the very next thing you need to do is what I speak to you. So let's look at that for here just a minute. This is the key to how God blesses the generations. This is the way God resources his work of the kingdom in every generation. You know, God owns it all. You know, things like all the cattle on a thousand. We've heard this since we've been young in the faith. God owns it all. Why doesn't he lose a little bit more my way? You might say, I get that. I understand. Sometimes there's more month at the end of your money, you know, but, but sometimes it's a test where God is just saying, you know, I can give you so I'm a dad. I have three children. And as much as I like to do for them, I recognized early on that I can't give them everything they want. Because it's not good for them. Have you all notice that? About yourself and your relationship. If you have children, you can't give them everything they want. Because what you what they want sometimes isn't good for them. It will make them lazy. Or it will make them fat or it will make them self-centered or, you know, we have to go on and on till Jesus returns. We just can't get everything we want. And that's what God is, is saying to us, that he owns it all and he's able to do far more than we could ask or think. And the way to release it is to begin to take just the next step. So what is your next step? Let's look and I'll end with this. It's called the discipleship continuum. It's just a series of arrows. And uh, or it's a stewardship, if you will, because we just looked at Matthew six stewardship continuum. And I invite you to find yourself um, on the continuum in terms of treasures on the earth versus treasure in heaven. And the very first um, place that we'll look at. Is this thing called first-time givers. Some of you may be first-time givers. Or maybe you haven't ever given. And I want you not to hear any condemnation. I want you to hear discipleship. Because that's what God is after for your life. Um, So there's first-time givers. And then you might take another step to become a regular giver. You know, we're all on a journey, right? Right. And how do you get from here to there if there's your end point? There's only one way to get there if you're walking to take a step and then a second step. And so it is with our discipleship. Uh, So there's first time givers. There's regular givers. uh, There's also uh, tithers, proportional givers, people that. Have said, I I want to obey. And they sometimes they jump from, well, really over here to become tithers. They just, you know, they grit their teeth. They may say no, but then they do it. Why? Because they have relationship with the father and the father says so. Uh, Or uh, there are those then who are extravagant givers, people who've who've tithed. They just bit the bullet. No, but did, and they write their check. We write our check monthly. Uh, We don't give weekly. I don't know how people do that, but we we don't. Doesn't matter how they do it or you do it. We do monthly, and we just write the check. Does it hurt sometimes? Yeah. Why? Because we're selfish, isn't it? We like more things. We want more stuff. And God says, no, just, just do it. That's what I want for you. And I want you not just to stop there, but actually become an extravagant giver. Now, why is that so? Because God really has something beyond whether you're first-time regular tither, extravagant giver. God's after, that's K-O-G, kingdom of God. God's building a kingdom. And he's enlisted you into that kingdom. And we get to participate with him in taking the next step, whatever that is. So there's no guilt in this. If you're somebody came up to me in the first service and said, you know what? I became a tither on my gross income when I was nine years old. And I said, yes, that's what God wants. Let's wait until we're twenty nine and married and have all of our bills. It'll never happen. My kids began to tithe when they were little bitty people. Why? Why? Because mom and dad thought it was important and said, this is what God wants. So every dollar you make, you give a dime, for example. So God wants to resource his kingdom through people like us. But going back to the other end, there are some people over on the far end who have never given. Now, remember what we're talking about, not about giving here so much as to how disciples grow. So if you're in the camp of having never given, then you need to remember what God has given to you. You know, he who has been given much, uh, much will be required. Um, Freely you have received grace. We sang about it. Grace, his grace is enough. His grace is bigger than any of us get. His grace keeps us. His grace sustains us. His grace provides for us. His grace is always bigger than your need. Every, you can't outgive what God has already given to you and will continue to do. But as you receive from him, Jesus said, now take the next step and give. Why? Because Jesus is after doing something that's bigger than you and bigger than me. And he requires something of us, and it's called obedience. So if you're a non-giver, don't get under guilt. Just take the next step. So for you, if you're a non-giver, if you've never given anything, uh, become a first-time giver. Now, first-time givers are usually uh, people who, um, who give cash. Now, I know people who actually tithe by cash. I don't know how they do that, but... They can. Uh, So this isn't about how. This is about you become um, a a first-time giver who is becoming a regular giver. Um, God's not looking for donors. Did you know that? God's looking for partners. God's looking for disciples who will partner with him in the end point. Becoming men and women of the kingdom, responsible people for when he says, go in my vineyard and work, that you might say no initially, but you take the step. That's what he's after. So non-givers, your next step is to become a first-time giver. If you've already given or you give modestly, uh, occasionally, your next step might be to become a regular giver. Paul says, you know, set your money aside each week, or in our case, each month, and you give. That's becoming a regular Giver, it's, the word there is systematic. There's a system. You know, everything in life has a system. Your car has a system. Your body has a system. There's a system in every organization. What do systems do? They help the work go forward. See, we've started translations in two different places around the world. How's that going to happen? How's that going to be completed? Because people say yes to taking the next step. Doug and Beth took the next step for them when God said Go. And they could have said, we'll go, but didn't like the one son. But they said, no, we won't go probably for a season because they're just like us. But they ended up taking the step and going and we can help them finish the race. Not just mission across the world, but God's got a mission for us right here in Wilmington. This town will become different. As the people of God understand their identity, their relationship, and begin to be obedient to Him in everything that He speaks. So regular givers then become tithers. Those are those who, people that give proportionally. That's what tithe actually means. Ten. Ten percent. Should it net or gross? We played that game for... How long Do we play that game? I don't know. It wasn't long. And we finally said, this is stupid to us. This is for us. The next step for us was no... Give ten percent of your gross. And that's what we start doing. Why? Did we like it? No. No, I won't go. But then we did. Why? Because we have relationship with the Father. You see, that it always comes down to relationship. You can say no, I'm not going to do it, and God will say, Okay. And then they'll start tightening up on you. Uh, tithe is proportional. And an extravagant giver, God wants people, some people have the gift of extravagantly giving. Uh, and that means sacrificially giving. And, um, and all of that moves us to the end point of the kingdom of God is, is managed appropriately. And God's mission is established. God has everything, every mission in our hearts could need. If you take the next step, wherever you are, on the discipleship continuum, you might be right here, and I give kind of regularly and systematically, but I don't like this T word, tithe. For you, the next step might be, you know what, honey, we need to sit down and talk about our finances and get our little house in order and get out of debt and stop buying our trinkets and our stuff because God's got something that he's enlisted us into. And that is his kingdom. So the kingdom of God always expands and moves forward uh, through fully um, developing disciples. Now, if you're here and you're sitting here going, oh, man, I hate this. That's okay. Just take the next step. See, that's what Jesus. He didn't come to condemn. People want to condemn you. Now, Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us, and part of saving us is saying, Steve, just link up with me. You know that thing, take my yoke upon me, yourself, and learn of me. Yoke up with Jesus, and things that he tells you to do becomes real easy. Well, let's pray. Shall we do that? Dean, yes. if you would come, and we'll just let this kind of percolate here for just a minute. Um, Father, I just want to thank you for giving us an opportunity to entertain your word that you have called us for such a time as this to become uh, sons and daughters in relationship with you such that we would say maybe initially, no, I won't go. But ultimately, we actually go because we really are in relationship and we want to obey. And so, Lord, for who each one of us are somewhere on this continuum, I pray that you would grace us to take the next step. In our lives, whatever that is. You know, this isn't just about money. It's about your time. It, it can be about treasure, to be sure. It can be about your talents. What's the next step for you? you? could be here saying, man, I'm a tither and I tithe on the gross. But maybe you're sort of miserly with your time. You know, I will give my money, but not my time. No, we belong to Jesus. So I ask our prayer partners, some of our ministry team, elders, staff people, if you come up and just kind of make your way to the front here. And I'll just miss us before, but what I would invite you to do is just take the next step for you. Maybe it's the next step of, God, I want to be open to take the next step. And that's how we get to the next step. We begin to choose that we want to be uh, more open. So, um, Sarah, when are you leaving town? Is it OK for me to say you're leaving town now that I just said you're leaving town? <laughs> Why don't you come up here, let's let's uh, let's pray for Sarah and we'll just end with this. This just came to me sort of spontaneously. Sarah served our our college um, ministry, um, Wellspring United for a number of months and um we uh, have grown to love her of course and we want to pray for her but um uh, any more of our prayer team don't be bashful Just come on up here because i want us just to close in a time of prayer let's stand in fact and i want to pray for sarah and bless her she's going up to raleigh she has connections there and uh, she's a worship leader Um, she's artistic and creative um, Jesus is big on her as He is on each one of us, and so, Lord, even now, as we um, conclude our time here of of saying to you, God, we want to take the next step. It seemed appropriate that uh, Sarah is demonstrating she's willing to take the next step, whatever the cost. And so, Lord, I just pray your blessings upon this dear one and Lord, that she would uh, see great dividends come from the investment that she's made. In her time and in her talents and in her treasure. And Lord, for others who may be here who now contemplate, okay, what's my next step, Lord? Uh, Just simply open our hearts that we might receive from you. God, we bless her today and we thank you for her. If you'd like special prayer before you slip out today for you taking your next step, maybe God's going to call you to go to Africa. Wow. Wow. I don't know where that came from. Raleigh seemed uh, good enough. Well, receive today's benediction. God, thank you for your love and mercy. And Lord, I thank you that you are really about the business of blessing your people, blessing your disciples, blessing those who are in relationship with you. And, God, I pray that your face would shine, your radiant glory would rest on and through them. And, Lord, enable us by the power of your Spirit to take next steps for each one of us. And, God, will be careful to give you the praise in the name of Jesus. If you'd like special prayer for whatever your, is on your heart, you come, and uh, if not, feel free to slip out. God bless you, and have a wonderful day today in Jesus.